thing on. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Cut. I'm your host, Christian Williams, and I am joined, as always, by Randy Hall. Randy, how are you, man? Doing all right. It's been a, a long Friday, but uh, ready to do this. Actually talking about teams we actually like. Uh, <laughs> has it been the best offseason for the Browns, yeah. necessarily? But uh, yeah, it should be fun. Well, and I think that depends on what angle you look at it from. I mean, I think... Um, yeah, no, you're right. It does. It has not been the best offseason yeah. for the Browns. Um, but if this is your first Friday fix, we will be talking through every aspect of the team from the GM and coaching situation uh, to the current cap situation, kind of where they landed in free agency and what they might continue to do. Obviously, this one's a little bit complex with uh, the four quarterbacks on the roster. And then we will also do a seven-round mock draft, which – is my personal favorite thing to do. Uh, a little less fun this time with no first round pick, but we'll get to that and I think we'll still have fun with that. So, uh, and then the plan is to get to some some Marvel talk. Did you watch Moon Knight, Randy? Yep. I watched okay. all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that hopefully at the end, but uh, let's get right into it. The general manager for the Cleveland Browns, Andrew Barry. Um, Talk to me about Andrew. <laughs> yeah, uh, the executive vice president of football ops and GM since January of 2020. Um, so it's third season for him in this position. Made the playoffs his first appearance, uh, first Browns appearance since 2002, and his first playoff victory in 26 years at the time. So pretty good start. Uh, was handed a good, uh, good hand. Let's. I mean, I think Dorsey did a really good job uh, in setting up this rebuild. Has uh, either drafted, signed, extended, or traded for all the key pieces that are currently off the Browns roster, or he was a part of that process in his first stint with the Browns. Uh, his first three drafts here, just in general, on the Browns staff was Joe Schobert, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb. So part of the knocking out of the park in those uh, maybe Joe Schobert to a lesser extent, but he was still a pro bowler, all pro. I mean, he played really well for the Browns. Uh, since he's been the GM, he drafted Jedrick Wills, Greg Newsom, Jeremiah Wusagorma, just probably the top three I would name. It's his drafted positions. Uh, traded for Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson this year. Uh, has been always heavy in the trade market as well, but started in 2009, uh, two years as Colts, scouting assistant not counting assistant um <laughs> like i put uh, then was promoted to the pro scout for the colts for one season then pro scouting coordinator for three seasons uh or yeah four seasons actually uh, three seasons as the browns vp of player personnel 
uh, one year of Eagles uh, vice president of football operations, and then obviously back with the Browns. So he got away for one year, <laughs> and then they brought him back. And I think it's worked out really well. Um, they're definitely on the right path. Whether the, I mean, I think we can all agree they they pretty much sniped getting Amari Cooper for little of nothing, which we'll get into the details of that trade in a little bit. And Sorry, you got to, you got a potential top five quarterback in the league yeah. on the field. On the field. <laughs> on the field. Yeah. <laughs> Off the field. Well, yeah. Yeah. To say, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I mean, so that's Andrew Barry in a nutshell, yeah, for sure. And so, you listed the the hits right from his drafts, but I do think it's worth noting that he's had some pretty uh, I wouldn't call them egregious misses, but they're not hits. For example, last year we saw him draft Anthony Schwartz ahead of a guy who balled out for the Lions in Amon Ross St. Brown when it was pretty clear to a lot of people that Amon Ross St. Brown was the better receiver. That was our pre-draft evaluation of it by pretty significant margin too. I did not like Anthony Schwartz. I understand the mindset of let's go get our guy, our speed wide receiver. This is just the one example that stands out, but there are some misses kind of sprinkled in, Um, but you can overlook them when you have hits as good as these ones. Yeah, and the other thing with him is just being GM. It's kind of hard to fully say he misses at this point anyways because they're all still pretty new. Uh, yes. Uh, sorry, Kevin, but I think it's going to work out best for both teams, especially when uh, some stud receiver ends up falling to 24 or some fucking how. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the Cowboys really don't problem. draft their actual need, but they draft the best player on the board. It's worked out a couple of years ago. Let's see if it does again. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think Schwartz, I, obviously both of us on the stream itself were like, uh, what the fuck are we doing here, guys? But especially because we both love Abendrog going to the draft, uh, not just because of the name. Uh, and it's it, it's arguable that, uh, besides whatever that fucking was, uh, it's arguable yeah. that, it's better for what they wanted to differentiate the offense with Amara maybe being a little bit too close to what an in-between of what Jarvis and Odell was supposed to give them. Uh, now with both of those gone, obviously we, in hindsight, now we'd want Amara to be our number one receiver as of right. Well, number two receiver as of right now, we'd be looking good in that department. Probably not having to focus on that in the draft necessarily, but, that's all hindsight, yeah. and we can't really. <laughs> if we live like yeah. that, every fan base is going to be really, really pissed, especially the Browns. Yeah, but, well, yeah, and that's the thing. And and like I said, the hits to get uh, Jeremiah Usukormo in the second round because of the concerns around. I think the heart condition was what it yeah. was. That he, I, I mean, think he had like a murmur in the pre-draft. It was it's something that could be serious, but it hasn't proved to be serious. Yeah. And and ultimately, I think that his path forward is as one of the best linebackers in the NFL. If you yeah. watched any of the Browns last year, you can see the path to that. Uh, he obviously was not on the field as much as you'd like, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's talk about Coach Kevin Stefanski. Randy, hit me with it. Yeah, a little bit of um, he's on a little bit of a hot seat right now. If we're being honest, just an that's an interesting take. It's it's an interesting take only because of I think he's on the hot seat as it pertains to like Browns fans. 
uh, more than anything else. And we know Brown's media, Brown's Twitter has been a nightmare over the last year <laughs> after yeah. basically trying to, you know, do <laughs> unspeakable things to Coach Stefanski and Baker a year before, which I won't talk about here. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot of joy about those two a season ago, and then this last season uh, kind of turned it around in, the, in a bad way to where no one, a lot of people on Brown's Twitter and a lot of people that we went to college with, grew up with, think he can't coach or he can't strategize better uh, or they blame Baker entirely or is blaming both entirely. So it, it's it's a little bit of a weird take, but it's going to be a, a weird season for him because if it's not playoffs, it's not successful, what is his future? Because at this point you've been given all the keys in theory with getting a, a better quarterback, at least on the field and, you know, not a lot of future first rounds or multiple picks and multiple drafts. You're, you're kind of drying up the well there and you're not going to have all this money either with extending all the good players on this roster. So this is going to be a little bit of a prove it year for Stefanski. I think it's not along the lines of, you know, like, like Cliff Kingsbury has to get done this year or stuff like that. It's more like, I'm just giving like examples of coaches of good teams that just haven't lived up to what they should have. Uh, I think he's a little bit better off than him, but like going into this year, I think it's a little bit of what they were last year. Maybe the Cardinals. Right. So that's, that's kind of where I would view Cliff as well in the nature that like he's been productive on the field for parts of seasons and I think we saw that with Stefanski last year too. Uh, not productive on the field. They're, they're not doing right. anything on the field, yeah. but you know what I meant. Um, but like, I, I think that that's kind of, if year three looks something similar to Cardinals year three, which was 11 wins, but a first 11 wins, but seven wins to start, and then an absolute downturn. Right. To, right. You know. Which and that's kind of like the scenario that I think could really put Stefanski on the hot seat. But I think ultimately he'll get it done because he is a good coach, no matter who wants to blame him for a lot of it. And and even I think that there was shared blame last year. Um, But right. But but he is a good coach. And uh, let's talk about his his background a bit. Yeah, yeah, sir. Uh, third season as the coach here, made the playoffs in his first year as we kind of went over with Andrew Barry and got a win, which is big, uh, while he wasn't even in the stadium, <laughs> uh, to say. So, I mean, in theory, did he get a win? Yes, no, whatever. But uh, yeah, he not. almost – he played really tough against the Kansas City Chiefs the next week as well. So, I don't think they necessarily got out coached. I just, you know – it just kind of was a game that they lost. Uh, struggled last year with the Baker injuries. And that's the kind of the caveat I'm giving. I think both the Baker, the offense, and Stefanski should get a pass with all the injuries. Um, but <laughs> just having to live in this, I know it's not how it's viewed, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but he's always – the Browns are a top-rushing team year in and year out. He has always been – a part of top rushing teams. He spent, I believe it's 14 years with the Vikings before he became a Browns head coach. Started as an assistant to the head coach for three years with the Vikings uh, from 06 to 08. Uh, 09 to 13, he was the Vikings assistant quarterback coach. 14 and 15, Vikings tight end coach. 
2016 Vikings running back coach, 2017 and 18 Vikings quarterback coach, and then 2019 the Vikings offensive coordinator. Uh, 2019 the Vikings were a very, very good team. However, <laughs> as I got into intense arguments with people on Twitter, namely my friend Flanny, uh, trying to compare Kirk Cousins to Baker in value, uh, coming off of their first contract, where apparently that argument was lost and somehow in the shuffle. But, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins' stats every year looks good. You know, 42, 4,500 yards, all these touchdowns and everything. You look at 2019, he had like 3,500 yards, 3,400 yards. Uh, and it's basically the same as Baker's stats both years that he's really played, you know. Um, so I, <laughs> I think that's what the offense is kind of meant to be. I don't know what it looks like with Deshaun Watson though. Well, that's I, I don't that's think you can run. Go. I don't think you can run that exact offense with Deshaun Watson. You can't. Uh, well, you could. You could. It it would just be a waste of two hundred plus million dollars. Uh, yeah. Which I don't think they want to do. I did want to say. So he started off as an assistant to the head coach and ended up the offense or the head coach of the Browns. So he went from Dr- Dwight Schrute to. To Michael Scott, uh, since he was the assistant to the head coach to start. Um, well, so, in theory, he went it? from Dwight Schrute to Dwight Schrute, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he just had the Dwight Schrute uh, uh, career path, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. So that's what. So I wanted to talk through what the offense will look like moving forward, since we don't really do the state of the team because we know the state of the team is just. Uh, very divisive amongst fans at this point, um, but on paper they have one of the best rosters in all of football. Um, but that is under the assumption that Stefanski can make an offensive scheme work that he has never run because he has always been a part of a run-first, uh, 12-personnel-heavy offense. Now, he got away from that a little bit with Baker, but probably not enough uh, in my in my humble opinion. Um, what do you think this offense looks like with Deshaun Watson? I think the transition continues. I, I think it still will always be a run first team, and it should be. I mean, it, Deshaun Watson's incredible, but you have two all pro caliber backs. You should be a run first team, regardless. Um, yeah. I think it'll be a little bit less of, you know, spread out um, because while Deshaun Watson can thrive in that environment, Baker was better in that environment. Like it's that's what Baker should be in. It's not a under center. Uh, he should be in a shotgun and read quickly and react kind of offense. You know, like he did all throughout college where he won a Heisman. Um, and his rookie year. <laughs> and his rookie year was really good. Um, so I, I do think they'll continue to adapt, but it still is good to be run first. I think it's just gonna be more balanced because there's gonna be more trust in the quarterback, but that also comes with trust in the wide receivers, which I don't think this coaching staff or the quarterback has had over the last couple of years. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think having Amari there is definitely going to change things as well. I think there's a chance that Jarvis Landry ends up back here in Cleveland. Um, I, I would not like to see it. I don't think that Jarvis has much juice left, pun intended. Uh, I think that he would be better suited in 
a wide receiver three or four situation, and this is not that. Like he would be heavily relied upon if they were to get a deal done with him. I think the money that he's going to want will go to someone, which we will get to here in a few minutes. But, um, but yeah, so that that's just kind of I'm very very curious to see how this offense evolves with such a different quarterback, just a yeah a polar opposite quarterback. If, if we're being completely honest, like, yeah in what they're going to be asked to do or what they've succeeded at. So, all right, um, let's get into the current cap situation and kind of uh, how their offseason has unfolded. Uh, yeah, so the Browns have just under $20 million in cap right now, 19938 uh, a little bit over that. Uh, so they still have a lot of money. Obviously, you got to factor, I don't know, like three to six for your, your draft capital. Uh, somewhere in there, uh, so you're still looking at about like 12 million, so 13 million at worst, I think it is. Uh, but if they do get to trade Baker, <laughs> uh, they will be up to 38.796 million in cap relief, so not relief in cap space, mm-hmm. he doesn't make that much. Uh, <laughs> right. and obviously, this is uh. I believe that's pre-June 1st. I, I don't really recall. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in that regard. Obviously, I don't think Baker's getting traded until after the draft or on draft day, like day two, day three somehow. Um, but we'll see. So the the point I wanted to make from this is with so much cap room, I know they still have some needs. They have some very clear needs that we will talk about here shortly. But with all of this cap room and the ability to sign probably at least one more marquee free agent, um, you said three to six. That Without a first-round pick, I think we're looking at the, the three side of things, right? So you've got around $15 million to work with at this point. And with the way Andrew Berry structures contracts, it's heavy signing bonus early. So, for example, the Deshaun Watson deal, we're about to um, <clears throat> kind of talk through how that unfolded, but his his contract is very low cap hit first year. Same thing with um, Jacoby Brissett, I believe, and that's just how Andrew Berry functions. So my point here is that why aren't the Browns simply saying, yeah, sure, we'll take half of Baker's salary, we'll eat that, that's fine. You get you give us half, and you can have this quarterback. Why aren't they just? Why is Andrew Barry being stubborn here? Do you think? Uh, because they tanked his market completely. Uh, the yeah. how this all unfolded. Um, I think Baker rightfully so would have probably went for maybe like a future second conditional to be a second or a first, or a future third conditional to be a second. Um, just plain and simple, just what he's done on the field, uh, pre-injury. I think he's talented enough to warrant that. Um, however, how it's handled, they have no leverage with Baker. Uh, they can either sit and have him be paid on their bench, uh, just like the 49ers may be doing with Jimmy G, to where they're just kind of stuck with him. And maybe he gets dealt at the deadline or right before some quarterback gets hurt. You take on the risk, but Baker only has one year left on his contract, I believe. This year, yeah. Uh, this year, or you could pick up his fifth year option, which is a good amount of money for an unproven player, necessarily. Well, no, uh, this this is his fifth year. They had already. This picked is it his up. fifth year. 
Yeah, and that's why he'd be guaranteed that um, that money. So yeah. that's that's the problem is they were confident oh, after 2020 yeah. that he was going to be the guy. They picked up the option early, and it, had they just waited, they, this would not be an issue at all. Um, yeah, the money would be cheap. But still, it, I mean, the word on the league is like people aren't offering a lot. Um, people think he's going to go for like a fourth or fifth round pick, uh, maybe cheaper, even if it's this year draft. Uh, so I think there's a lot of like, well, we don't want that. We'd rather just keep him at that point and trade him when someone actually needs him. And I don't blame him, but we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. The 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 worst part is that they do not care at all about about how Baker would want to handle this, which was that would be getting into a camp, getting to prove that he is a dude and and playing. Um I, I don't think they care. I think they would, like you said, hold him until the deadline potentially, and then his value then is even more tanked. Um yeah. well his, his value in terms of what he can make post this contract. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's being handled pretty shady uh, at this point. So, um, but how, how's the rest of the offseason gone? We've kind of touched on some things, but yeah, I'm going to try and go through this quickly. So they traded Mac Wilson uh, to the Patriots for Chase Winovich. So uh, they do have, you know, good edges right now, uh, at least good rotational starters here and there. Uh, that, I think that was key because Mac Wilson hasn't fully developed yet, and with the with the greatness of JOK already on the field being better than him, uh, it gave them some flexibility there. They also sent a fifth round pick this year and a sixth round pick this year, uh, one fifty five and one ninety three to the Cowboys for Amari Cooper and a sixth round pick this year, two hundred two. So you moved back nine, nine spots, spots on the sixth and traded a fifth-round pick for Amari Cooper. That's an incredible deal. Uh, it is a lot of money on Cooper's deal, so I get it. Uh, and then they traded for Deshaun Watson, so they sent the first-round pick this year and a fourth-round pick this year, uh, third or first-round pick in 2023 and a third-round pick in 2023, first-round pick in 2024, and a fourth-round pick in 2024. And they got Watson and a sixth-round pick in 2024. So... This year and the next two years, they are strapped with draft capital, especially next year, losing that third and first. Uh, And then they also traded for an extra seventh-round pick by sending Case Keenum to Buffalo. Uh, Do you want to go over any of those before I go to free agency? (laughs) Uh, No. Okay. Uh, Free agency, they tagged David Njoku to, I think it's about $10 million. Uh, Resigned Chris Hubbard, one year, $2.6 million. Resigned Anthony Walker Jr., one year, 4.25. Resigned Ronnie Harrison Jr., 1.1235 million. Tendered Michael Dunn, Blake Hans, Jamarcus Bradley, and Dearness Johnson. Uh, signed Jakeem Grant, three years, 10 million. Signed Taven Bryant, one year, 2 million. Signed Jacoby Brissett to be the backup quarterback, one year, 4.65 million. Signed a punter, one year, 1.5 million. Uh, Corey Borshikiz. Borshikiz. It's something, it seems Swedish to me, which seems probably wrong to say out loud, but I don't know how to pronounce that off the top of my head. Uh, He's a good punter, though. He was, yes. Resigned Chase McLaughlin, uh, one year, 965K to be the kicker, 
foreseeably. Uh, yeah. Poor guy, can you Ethan, a yeah. <laughs> signed Ethan Poshish, uh, one year, one point one million, to be the backup center. Uh, brought in Joshua Dobbs to be quarterback four currently. Uh, brought in Stephen Weatherly to be edge depth, and brought in Sheldon Day to be edge depth. Contracts not available currently. They also cut J.C. Trenner, who was a starting center and the head of the NFLPA. Uh, (laughs) uh, Which is just more trust in the Nick Harris, I think, and some leverage there. They cut Jarvis. Oh, and that saved him $8.23 million in that cut. They cut Jarvis Landry that cleared $14.8 million. And they cut Austin Hooper, which cleared $9.5 million. So they got rid of the... One of the bigger signings by Dorsey and Hooper. Uh, may, obviously, he didn't live up to the contract, but maybe that's what we asked him to do necessarily. Jarvis Landry didn't; he wasn't going to live up to fourteen point eight million, so they had to cut him, regardless of how they feel about him. And J.C. Better would have probably lived up to eight million, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been it a busy offseason. So you missed one actually as well. Right. So Isaac. Isaac Rochelle, they signed him yesterday. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw that ago. actually on TikTok, not on Twitter or anything else. <laughs> yeah, God, I, I think, love uh, the world. <laughs> it's really strange. I saw that TikTok was the place that the news broke. Uh, but he has in, some inside-outside versatility. He mostly will be a five-tech, I think, for them. So Yes, uh, so he has another edge depth. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I believe that'll be a cheap deal because, I mean – He's not. He's, it's his third he's team, rotational. I believe, but he's a good rotational player, and I'm sure. I, I would probably liken it to like the Taven Bryan, like one year, two million, somewhere in there. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so busy offseason. They've definitely maneuvered the cab quite a bit. I think they maneuvered it even more so because they had to fit all the new big contracts in, um, along with. Because we didn't talk about, so they gave Deshaun Watson two hundred and forty million dollars guaranteed. Um, yep, that's that's a, a major part of the outlook of this team moving forward. And then they also extended Denzel Ward uh, to the largest cornerback contract of all all time. Two hundred point five million, I believe. Is that what it is? Or five hundred one hundred point five? Yeah, I was going to say we just went for Deshaun, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so uh, average of twenty million, and it's like 47, 48 guaranteed. So between At signing, I think it's seventy one total guaranteed. So with that being said, three hundred million guaranteed to two players uh, as of right now. So uh, they're going for it. I, I'll give them that. So yeah, but I mean, Deshaun Watson is pretty young. Um, oh yeah, so is Denzel Ward. Uh, well. I'm just saying, like, you've already locked up Chubb, I believe. You've locked up Garrett. You've locked up Ward now. I mean, you're locking up all the key players, and it's smart. That's what you should do. You have the money. Um, They somehow – they've had the money with having two highly paid quarterbacks on the roster, which is astonishing, but (laughs) – right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so they still have some key free agents, and, and yep. we should talk about that as well. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, Tack McKinley, Malik Jackson, Malcolm Smith, Dustin Colquitt, Afedi Ogbenigbo, I believe, uh, Ryan Switzer, Montrell Meander, uh, Stephen Carlson, Porter Augustin, Dexter Williams, Malik McDowell, and Duke Dawson, all are still free agents. 
and they have lost Javante Moffat, Nick Mullins, Elijah Lee, Andy John- Janovich, MJ Stewart, and Rashad Higgins in free agency. Yeah, so it's a lot, it's yeah. a lot of defensive linemen. It is. Malik McDowell also got arrested uh, for going in public naked. Um, Well, yeah. (laughs) So he won't be back. Although you never know. You never know with this team. They might want guys like that. Um, (laughs) Man, (laughs) that was too easy. Uh, I didn't know. I did not know that uh, Nick Mullins signed somewhere. Where did he sign? Do you know? Uh, The Raiders. Oh, all right. That's cool. Uh, So uh, I think the biggest loss here, I I think there's still a chance. And so as we get into the actual fix here, uh, we'll just spoil it. We're both re-signing Jadavion Clowney. I think that is a foregone conclusion. Personally, I think they're just working through the contract. Um, Miles Garrett actually just posted a photo of them together about two hours ago. And so there are rumors that it's almost done. Um, I think it's done before draft day. I think it's done tomorrow afternoon. Is oh, when I, I'm giving it a few days, okay? I want to be bold, man. I want to be bold. That's my brand. Shock. I'm uh, absolutely shocked. <laughs> right. Uh, no, but so we're both bringing back Jadavion Clowney, and that's pretty much it uh, for the rest yeah. of free agency because until they clear Baker's contract or eat some of the salad, whatever they do. Well, they're not um, going to bring back anyone else before the end of the draft because they need to know how much they're spending on the draft, how much they can sign. Uh, death pieces for you know that's that's how that works yeah for sure uh what i was gonna say though is the biggest loss here is actually mj stewart in my opinion i think he had some yeah. really really good play last year and he got a decent deal i forget with who off the top of my head i don't remember either um but yeah i think he's the biggest of the actual signed elsewhere losses um yeah but i think it, it's if that's your biggest loss as a depth player like that i think that's good um i think you could replace that so yeah for sure all right let's talk through some some team needs as we move into our mock draft uh yeah so they don't need quarterback uh because they have four quarterbacks on the roster um uh and they are well they have three that are continually like the browns quarterback room has now talked about how it's like three all black quarterback room and baker's just still there um, so I guess his dance moves count slightly, uh, shout out like Nick Burkhammer, uh, love you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they, they're not drafting a quarterback, plain and simple. Yeah. I, I just think that's just get out of the way. Um, they have so many running backs as well. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Giannis Johnson, Demetric Felton, John Kelly and Trey Harbison, who I think John Kelly and Trey Harbison are going to be practice squad players. And if Giannis Johnson signs his tender in the next hour. Uh, they probably won't draft a running back because they have four running backs they value. So just getting that out of the way. Johnny Stan, the fullback's probably good enough too. Um, so team needs starting enough for me. I think it starts off at D tackle, so interior defensive line. You have Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togia penciled in as the starters currently with David Bryan being the D tackle three rotational, as well as Sheldon Day as being the new signing. Um, while I do have some hope for Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togia, I have two defensive tackle draft picks that I've liked over the last couple of years. Um, I'm not sure that they're both ready to be starters or either are ready to be starters. So I think that's their biggest need as of right now. 
Uh, wide receivers up next with Amari Cooper obviously being your one, but has had some injury history. Uh, Jakeem Grant being your two. Donovan Peoples-Jones being your three. Anthony Schwartz, your four. And Jamarcus Bradley, your five. You have five receivers, and one has barely been on the roster. Most of those contracts, you know, just saying. It's not a dig at him, but you, you don't. You don't have a full receiving core as of right now. And um, he's still better than Anthony Schwartz, so that's pretty <laughs> I don't impressive. know about that necessarily, but you hate him for that. Uh, because Anthony Schwartz basically gave up a pick, which also got yeah. rid of Baker's shoulder. So, Which got rid of Baker. Yeah, he, it's yeah, so, the trickle down. Uh, Anthony Schwartz is not uh, a show favorite. Uh, <laughs> but I do think the top three has some upside. I think at least they believe, and I think they believe in Schwartz, at least somewhat to develop. Um, but, yeah, you need another receiver in there at least. Uh, maybe it's not in the second. Maybe it's not in the third. But you need more receivers with upside, I think, just plain and simple. Uh, yeah. Followed by that, I think, Edge, while you do have some good pieces, Miles Garrett obviously being one of, if not the best, edges, uh, or at least defensive ends in the NFL. Uh, perennial sack leading candidate. I think Chase Winovich has shown a lot of good flashes for the Patriots, and I think he could bring that to this team. Uh, Stephen Weatherly, Curtis Weaver, and uh, Isaiah Rochelle uh, are all good depth pieces. I still think you need more of an upside piece in there. Um, and Jadavion Clowney bringing back in both of our cases is enormous. So you have three good defensive ends, but mm-hmm. There's a good chance that Jadavion Clowney's a one-year deal. I'm not sure how many years Chase Winovich has left on his contract. So bringing in more talent there is always good. Linebacker is next. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and Anthony Walker being your starters with Jacobs Phillips and Sione Takitaki being your rotational pieces. Both have had good reps. Uh, Tony Fields and uh, Will Harvey, Willie Harvey as your backups. I think you could still stand to get better in the linebacking room, or at least – Better for the future with Anthony Walker coming back at a one-year deal. Um, I don't think you're set there. I don't think Taki Taki has done enough to be set there. No, what I was going to say really quickly, though, is I, I think Tony Fields has a lot of upside, and he just he does, was kind of hurt throughout his rookie year. So it, it's interesting, and I think the team really expects a big jump from Jacob Phillips, too. So I think he could actually overtake Walker as the starter. All, all is very, very possible, but with all that question marks in the room is why right. it's the fourth yeah, on the right. list for me. Uh, just yeah. tied it back in. Next, safety. Uh, John Johnson the third, and Grant Delbert are your starting safeties with Ronnie Harrison being your safety three. Richard LeCount the third, and Nathan Meaders. Meaders? I don't know how to pronounce that. Me- Meaders, I think. I think it's me- it could th- That's a last name that could pronounce six different ways, and I don't like it. That's um, true. <laughs> But either way, he's more of a special teamer. The Cout's more of a special teamer. You have three safeties, and Ronnie Harrison really hasn't had a lot of good reps, if we're being honest. So I think safety, at least rotational-wise, is a big need. And also John Johnson and Grant Delbert have had some injury history, so it's smart to get better in that position in the depth percept- uh, perception. I shouldn't say depth perception like that because um, <laughs> it makes me sound like I'm talking about something else. Uh Followed by that, I have tight end because David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. One-year deal for Njoku, I believe one- or two-year deal for Harrison Bryant. Uh, and then you have bench warmers besides that, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Uh, yeah. 
And this is a team that routinely over the last few years has rolled out three tight ends. So will they do that this year? Maybe not uh, with maybe a new look offense, but they're definitely going to use two and you want to have a third that you really trust. And to your offensive lineman next in the list, uh, you have good starters. The line's solid. I think Nick Harris is your worst offensive lineman, and he's good enough that they got rid of, you know, Treader, yeah. who was a good setter. So, I, and you brought in a backup setter. It's just Michael Dunn, David Moore, Drew Forbes, and Pojish. Do I trust any of them? Not really. So, getting a, a rotational back end. Uh, interior offensive lineman's good. Same with offensive tackle. We haven't seen enough to be trusted in Chris Hubbard or uh, Blake Hance or James Hudson, in my opinion. So I think you need to look at getting another option there. Cornerback, you have th- so many fucking corners that are good, but getting yeah. another one's not a bad idea. And running back, same thing if, uh, like we talked about, the Johnson doesn't resign. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with most of this. I, I would uh, honestly put wide receiver first uh, over interior defense line, but I get it. I would not. I, I, <laughs> see, I think the three, the top three, any order you put them in, I could get it um, because I, I do think that those are the top three needs and just defensive line in general and then wide receiver. I, I think that I th- that's – I think it's a tier one of D tackle and wide receiver and then like a tier two – of edge linebacker safety tight end probably yeah like i think I those are all like depth need there or possible starter in the future yeah <clears throat> i mean i get that too i just think we both already attacked the edge position for a reason and then we'll we'll get into our mocks but we doubled up for a reason too and so um i just think you can't let Miles get double and triple teamed out there. You just can't. And they yeah. need to have some type of threat on the other side. Well, and having D tackle helps that. Is That's true. The other part. Yeah. All right. True. But we do need to get into drafts. Yes. So you're up first. Congrats. Okay. So I started out with Travis Jones, the interior defense flyman from UConn, who would have been the star of the combine if Georgia didn't exist as a team. So Travis Jones is more of a nose tackle in college, but He's got the agility to play one or three tech. You know, I really do think that. And I think he can be what the Browns need to eat up a lot of the run game to help out those developing linebackers in a division that runs a dick ton. Just saying um, this 44th pick is going to be super weird because they should not trade up in this draft. Not Not that they don't need to, to make sure they get their guy. But with what you've given away in draft capital, you can't. If anything, you have to trade back. Uh, And I don't think you do that from 44 because I think you have such vital needs on D-tackle and wide receiver that you have to pick someone there of good value. If they're all gone, yeah, I think you trade back. But um, I think you have to pick one of those two positions here, in my opinion. Travis Jones routinely is there for me. Uh, The wide receivers, I don't know what to think right now because the the ones you'd think of being like uh, George Pickens, Jahad Dotson, uh, Christian Watson uh, and Sky Moore are like the four that stick out to me that could be there at 44. However, most of them have first round talk, and there are teams that need receivers to start the second round and the back of the first round. It, it's very difficult to be sure that one or multiple of those receivers are going to be there at 44. Uh, and it also is difficult to see if Travis Jones might not be there as well. But I went with the position I valued the most for them 
uh, and a guy that I think could still be there because of wide receiver safety and edge and linebacker maybe being vaulted up in the top of the second back into the first. Uh, I then traded back from 78. I traded 78 to the Lions for the 97th pick and a fifth round pick next year. You need more draft capital, plain simple, uh, <laughs> and you can do it. Um, I got Alec Pierce, uh, <laughs> the wide receiver from Cincinnati, a combine darling as well. This is the kind of stuff that the Browns love. They love guys that are high RAS, high speed score, all that shit, uh, spark score. You know, that, that's what they love. That's what they generally they have always loved. That's what they draft. Uh, I think yep. Alec Pierce would be on that radar. Um, age wise, he might not necessarily be, but. I think he can bring a little bit of everything to what they want in this offense and maybe be in a downfield threat that can also be more of a jump ball catcher where Schwartz can't. So I think it gives you a little bit of extra developmental leeway there. Um, Followed that up two picks later at 99 with Maja Sanders, uh, (laughs) the edge from Cincinnati. Honestly, an uber talented guy that is honestly because of sickness, it seems has had some, weight concerns over the last month or so, two months, three months. Um, I think he's going to probably continue to bulk up slightly at the NFL level, but I think Sanders right now can give you what Tack McKinley gave you, and Tack McKinley was your edge three, edge four, and I think Sanders in his first year, while you don't know what the future is, can continue to develop and continue to get his body right at the NFL and really develop into possibly Miles Garrett's running mate. Um, I'm not sure if that's fully there, but I also think Sanders has the possibility to be a versatile piece, uh, maybe playing outside linebacker as well for them at times. So I think it's a good fit. And honestly, he's the best edge on the board there for me, plain and simple. Uh, followed it up fourth round, Terrell Barnard, Bernard, the linebacker from Baylor we just talked about last week. Just a good linebacker pick. I think you pick whatever of the positions left you think is here. In my opinion, I, I, like yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, if you think linebackers the top of your board here, if you think uh, safety, if you think interior offensive linemen, if you think tight end, I think you just pounce on it right here in the fourth round, and later you just take upside shots, and that's what I did. I think Bernard fits what the room could be in the future. He's just kind of a little bit of an additional piece. I don't know how much he really gets on the field this year, but. I didn't really love the corners or safeties necessarily on the board, or they were on the board, and I wasn't sure they'd be on the board for them in the fourth round. So I went a different route. Uh, sixth round, Darion Kendrick, the cornerback from Georgia, a guy we talked about early in this process, just from early tapes and stuff we watched last year with Kendrick. He's fallen down ports because of RAS and everything else. Um, I think he's a good pick here, and I think he probably does fall here, which is kind of shocking with, from what we thought going into the season. But this gives you just more cornerback depth. And worst case, if he's not if he's not working out fully at corner, you might be able to have him as rotational safety. I think he still can just be a good special teamer for you regardless. Uh, and it's just good depth in a room that, while it is very, very deep right now, uh, they have had a lot of injuries in that room. Uh, first seventh round pick, I went with Andrew Stuber. Uh, I've talked about it on here a good amount, but Offensive tackle, interior offensive line for Michigan. Uh, the seventh round we talked about before the show was my my best hits. It's it's always interior offensive lineman, offensive tackle, uh, linebacker, cornerback, safety. It's players that I always see 
positions getting on the roster from these late round picks. It's just what I like to what I want the teams to be targeting because especially with the Browns, I think Stuber helps you in multiple ways to where he kind of the one pick kind of helps you with depth with both position both positional needs. Um and then with the last pick I was Bubba Bolden. You know I was going safety. Uh <laughs> it's just how it is. It safeties and corners and it, like I just said, you pick the high value positions in the late rounds. Uh and to me those are the ones that are the highest value because even if they're not ready to be on the actual field for offense and defense they can be impact players on special teams yeah for sure i like this draft i i think the one like i think i'd be comfortable taking kendrick in the fourth where you took bernard and then but the problem is i don't don't think the league is (laughs) that's yeah he's just not athletic at all um based on his testing he he plays with more fluidity i think than than his testing gives him credit for, but he w- he had problematic tape when he was at Clemson, and he fixed a lot of it at Georgia, but not to the level I think that uh, that you would want to see out of a day two or like early day three pick. So I get it. Um, I like this draft. I I still will always push back. I think Travis Jones is going to the first or the very early second. So, but, but see, I the only it. team people think he's going to in the first is the Bucks, and like I said, every. Every analyst you hear, like, yeah, I mean, think of him and Vita Vea. Oh, my God. But in the same breath, they always come back with, but from everything I'm hearing, the Bucks don't want this type of D-tackle to go with Vita Vea. Well, then why are we saying so much that he's going there? It doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. And besides that, I don't see where he fits into the first round. I have this either a first or high second round player. But we know safety is going to be flying off the board to start the second. We know wide receivers are. There's a good chance linebackers are. Um, There's a chance quarterbacks come off the board there as well. So, and some edges. So there's, and some corners. I mean, there's so much positional flexibility there that something's falling. And it might not be Travis Jones. It might be who you pick. But something's falling that they need, hopefully. But the only D-tackle I want at 44 is Travis Jones. I don't want DeMarvin Leal for them. I don't want Perry and Winfrey necessarily for them. Hypothetical, though. So Devontae Wyatt had some domestic violence shit come up lately. So <laughs> need, I think we need good people on this team, Christian. <laughs> well, do we? I don't, do I don't we? even think with anything popping up like that, he falls out of the first, in my opinion. I don't need it. I think what it does, and so I just wrote my final mock, and I had Travis Jones going before Wyatt because of it, but then Wyatt's still sneaking into the back of the first because, I mean, tape alone, you can argue that he's the best defensive tackle. Plain and simple. So, uh, but, yeah, I really like this mock. I I think it would definitely help uh, fill the needs, and really that's all they should be wanting to do. So, I'll get into my mock. I, I took a different direction with mine and then changed it three times before we started. Um, Classic. Yeah, always. I do this every week. Uh, I started with the 44th pick. I took Sky Moore, the wide receiver out of Western Michigan. I think Sky Moore is better than this. I think that there's a chance that he goes in the first. I think there's a chance that the 10 teams that pick in front of the Browns in the top of the second take Sky Moore. But I also, in my mock, had him falling to around pick 50. I had him falling to the Chiefs, and I I think the Browns would pass on him compared to some of the other guys around that area. I think, for example, 
I've heard a lot of buzz about them loving Logan Hall, uh, the other defensive tackle, uh, if he's sitting there. But if I'm doing this, I'm taking Sky Moore and I'm running because I think that he would fill the immediate need at wide receiver two, and you could partner him with Amari Cooper and really Donovan Peoples-Jones, I guess, rotating on the outside with Jakeem Grant being a, a, a kickstarter to that offense. So I'd, I'd roll Sky, let him work with Amari too. For what it's worth, I think I probably have Travis Jones ranked highest out of like this receivers to tackle argument. Um, so clearly that's the player I want, plain and simple. That's but fair. I think any of the wide receivers are pretty much good fits. Like, I don't think Pickens is there. But if Pickens is there, I think he's a good enough fit. I don't think he diversifies like the wide receiver portfolio for them, but he's talented and he can be an alpha to replace Amari in a couple years. Um, I think Christian Watson clearly is a good fit because uh, it's it's what they like, you know. Uh, but he's a bit too old for what they like, so it's right. a little bit of mixture there. Um, I think Sky Moore fits in diversifying the offense. Uh, I think he's could be like a more talented Jakeem Grant basically um, and just kind of work out great for this offense. And um, Jahan Dotson clearly would be a great fit to replace Jarvis, but is he there? Probably not. Like I, I just don't, I don't know who's there. (laughs) And that's the shit thing about having the second round. Like we've had so many of these, all the rest of them, we've had first round picks. We have a good idea of who's going to be there and we can kind of match up where the fit will be and where, why they're going to fall here in the second round, especially in the middle top middle of the second. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I followed up my sky Moore pick. I went linebacker at pick 78. I didn't do any trades on this one. I just took the, took the players, but I went with uh, Channing Tindall, the linebacker out of Georgia. I've had some conversations about Channing on Twitter tonight. Cause I posted my final uh, rankings as well. Uh, Tyndall is just fast and explosive and he has incredible closing speed and range. I think the Browns need a guy like that to partner with Jeremiah Usukoromoa so that the entire, uh, second level of the field is kind of covered. Now, Tyndall probably doesn't profile as a starter immediately, but he can be a nice little rushing. Yeah. Well, he can be a (laughs) rushing, uh, rushing linebacker on third down because they don't they don't have that because Anthony Walker is not that. Um, no. I don't, no. And I don't really think Jacob Phillips is either. So I just rolled with let's get the the linebacker some sp- room, some speed, and go with that. Then pick 99, I went with Tyreek Smith, the edge out of Ohio State. There are a few guys I think they'll really like here in this third round for edge rushers. Majai's being – he's one of them, I think um, – uh, D'Angelo Malone makes some sense. I think, uh, well, I think in the second round, Drake Jackson makes some sense if they wanted to go that route. But there, there's still a chance Drake Jackson's in the third, too. We He's he's another person we have no idea where he's falling. So, yeah, I think, obviously, I think you would have had to do that the pick before, like at 78, but at 99, yeah. I agree. There's like six edges. <laughs> you just got to pick yeah. your favorite. And ultimately, I have Tyreek Smith ranked ahead of Drake Jackson in the first place, so I would still take Tyreek Smith. Uh, I was just kind of going off what I think they would do, but also uh, where I would go within that little cluster. Pick uh, 118 in the fourth round, I went with Daniel Bellinger, the tight end out of San Diego State. 
there's rumors that this kid's going to be off the board well before this. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, I think, just ranked him as his tight end two or three or something like that. Uh, just a good blend of high athleticism, pretty soft hands. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's what I said, too. Um, Maybe number two yeah. athletic, like athleticism, but Jesus Christ. I mean, and I I get it because the, the flashes are pretty crazy. Um, he, he does possess soft hands, and he really did not get a whole lot of targets at San Diego State. That's not the role that the Browns would use him in, though, here. I think Najoku is your primary pass-catching tight end. Harrison Bryant is your secondary pass-catching tight end. And then you can use Bellinger in a, an area that he's good at. Needs to improve a little bit, but he's a pretty tenacious blocker. So I think that that was a good fit. Follow that up at the 202 in the sixth round with Noah Ellis, the defensive tackle out of Idaho. Uh, really, really um, explosive player. Uh, fairly athletic, I think. I don't know what his actual RAS is off the top of my head, but he's a guy that's been rising up board. I know PFF really, really likes him. I think that the Browns would be considering him here, and I just I didn't go defensive tackle early, so I needed to do something. And among the defensive tackles that are here in the latter part of day three, he was the best, in my opinion. So went that route. 223, I actually picked Kennedy Brooks, the running back out of Oklahoma. Randy kind of said, like, I don't think they're picking a running back, and I just don't think that Dearness Johnson will be back. I really don't. I think that there's a chance that he does not sign the tender. He goes and he gets a role elsewhere because there are a lot of teams that need running backs. And so I drafted Kennedy Brooks to kind of be the uh, RB3 for this team, and I think he's a pretty good one. I think that I would value him much, much higher than the seventh round. I think I would have him fourth or fifth round. And so there's there's a lot of running backs in this class, though, so I fully expect him to be there in the seventh. Went that route, and then pick 246, I had to get like a, a player with off-field concerns because that's just you know what the Browns do now. And I went with Marquise Bell, the safety out of Florida A&M. He was part of the 2017 recruiting class, so he – does not fit the age profile that the Browns would ever look at. But, uh, and traditionally in the latter rounds, they don't go with high RAS players. They go with skilled players that they think can contribute. But I will argue that that has not worked. And so I went with a guy who has a high, high RAS. He's a 4-4 guy. He can contribute on special teams. And like Randy said, you kind of pick the guys that you think could stick uh, because of special teams value or because of just offensive line depth. I went the safety route and a guy I think could, I mean, with outside of the top three to four, like I think he would step into the safety five role, but that's valuable, especially in training camp and whatnot. And uh, with that athletic profile, I think he could actually make the team. So and that's it. Sorry, fight Duffy up. Um, yeah, it's, you do the same thing. It's just different players. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, and we value some things slightly differently. Um, but this D tackle class is weird as well. And that's maybe why I was so hyper focused on Travis Jones. Uh, because if you don't take one in the first three rounds, it's developmental at best for D tackle. And if you really need the impact, you got to do what you got to do. So. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of talk about John Ridgeway, the kid out of, I believe, Arkansas. Um, yeah. he, he's a nose tackle, and I think he sucks. 
and and I kind of talked about that on the defensive tackle. And that's the thing. It's that's exactly what I'm talking about with the depth of the position where we start hyping up people that really shouldn't be hyped up, (laughs) especially Um, noses, like especially nose tackles, because there really aren't that many in this class that I think are worthy. So. But yeah, no, I mean, we but two di- two of the better ones I've ever graded, but that's true. Yeah, yeah, still for sure. Yeah, but either way, two different approaches. You know, I think uh, a wide receiver room, uh, w- including Sky Moore, is a lot more fun than one with Alec Pierce. But yeah, 100%. a defensive tackle room with Travis Jones is much better than one with Noah Ellis. So. Um, Two, two vastly different uh, ways of looking at it. Do you have anything to add on the Cleveland Browns before we move into Moon Knight? Um, I do think they kind of have to nail this, at least the first three rounds here. Obviously, they don't have a pick in the first round. But I think you do have to nail it, and I think you do have to prioritize possibly trading back once or twice to get future capital. You are – especially next year, very strapped with capital, with only having the second round pick in the first two days, uh, getting a lot of day three capital and possibly trading up with those is, is going to be very, very key. Um, so those are two things I'm looking at for next week for the Browns. I hope they have a good draft, but we'll, we'll see. Like, obviously, if they if they don't get high-impact players, uh, like for day one in those in those first three picks there, it won't be like the death of the Browns by any means, but for the development of this team and for uh, especially early on playoff hopes with possibly missing Deshaun Watson for time, uh, it's going to be very, very big. Yeah, I agree there. I think they have to hit the first four picks uh, or just somehow hit on one of the last few. Um, and they they can afford one miss. In it, they, they need to hit four out of these seven, and they need to – be able to actually make the roster and be impactful. So, um, but future is bright uh, for the most part, you know, no matter your feelings on just, the quarterback and just not draft capital. Yeah. Yeah. The draft capital future. We won't do this episode next year. I guarantee no, you that. 100%. Um, Cause that won't be fun for anyone uh, doing three picks. And that's why we don't do the Rams any year. It's why Sorry, we Rams. didn't do the Raiders after they traded for Devonta Adams. They, yeah. they were like, I was like, hey, yeah, after free agency, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And do that. Then... You know what, guys? <laughs> I don't think we're going to do that when they have like five picks from round three on. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. All right, let's get into some Marvel talk. So uh, Moon Knight, episode four, was uh, as wild a, an episode of television that I remember in a long time. Um, you know, I... I would compare it. So, spoiler alert. We're all spoilers. Yeah, obviously, here. anytime we put this up, it's spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would compare it to one of the better episodes of Breaking Bad, which I know sounds crazy. A Marvel show mixed with one of the best shows of all time. But there's not that there's a twist, but the character work that is in this freaking episode is absurd. Uh, Randy, first of all, what were your thoughts on, on this episode? Oh, it's a it's a crazy episode. A lot happened, um, and yep. didn't happen. Exactly didn't happened. Um, I think it was it's kind of funny because uh, basically it just so much happened in Egypt, like finding the tomb, going through the tomb, fighting off ancient guards, uh, meeting up with 
Hero and his men who are trying to shoot everything and um, basically having like talks about uh, uh, Mark's wife and what happened to her dad and this and this and Hero trying to divide the two clearly. Uh, it was it was very intense and kind of crazy. Successfully, you- not successfully, because uh, obviously we get uh, them finding Alexander the Great's tomb and right. finding uh, the actual stone and prison statue of Amet in its throat. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's obviously what would bring Amet back. And, uh, and Hera ends up shooting Mark, Stephen, whatever it is. And then we get into what you brought up a couple episodes ago of this all possibly being a dream. Um, And that's the scenario, but it's clearly not. Yes. So I should expand on that. So that was always my prediction because the most recent Moon Knight comic, I think was the inspiration for creating the show. I think that they said, this is a cool idea. We're going to adapt this in a kind of different way, but essentially what happens from here on out. Now, if you don't want to know what happens, I, this might not be right. This is also just a theory of what could happen. He, so. Exactly. So this is what happens in the comics. So uh, you get about three quarters of the way through and it, you turn the page and Mark, or it's a later issue. Mark wakes up in a mental asylum. He sees all of the people that he has been, you know, interacting with in his Indiana Jones escapades in Egypt. And he, the last thing, it's very similar. The last thing he remembers is uh, whoever he was fighting, killing him. And then he wakes up in a mental asylum. After that, they break out of the mental asylum. So, or they, he breaks out. The whole two separate people thing was not a part of the comics, and so I don't know where they're going with that. Yeah, um, because Mark yeah. then meets Steven in real life and they're hugging, and it's strange. Um, yes, and they and Steven's encased in a tomb, and they see another tomb that's shaking, and obviously, they see uh, a, a hippo pharaoh, a female yeah, one. Yeah. Which also apparently is a tie-in to X Men, possibly. Which is, I, I, I didn't know. It, that. There's like a major X Men villain, but I don't think it's actually a female. But it has like a, a funny name, um, which I can't recall off the top of my head. But interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's fucking intense. But I think the showing the split personalities meeting each other, pretty much like proves it's not the mental asylum, unless that's still in his head. But the biggest thing for me that I was like, well, this is clearly in his head, not in real life, was either this or it's the worst psychiatrist of all goddamn time uh, in a mental facility, by the way. Uh, It's Haro as a psychiatrist basically talking about to a patient who's catatonic because of drugs half the time, apparently, but talking to them about all his mental, his fantasies and not reality where he has all these problems because he's thinking of going on ancient Egyptian tours and all this. And his entire office is Egyptian themed with relics and everything. If that was the case, (laughs) don't you think that psychiatrist would not have his meetings in there with that patient? Well, so (laughs) because otherwise you're basically saying like, well, here's all the things that you're going to now think is real. Just come on, keep looking at everything. 
Well, so that's another theory that I haven't really thought about, but maybe that's actually Harrow, like the Harrow that we've known for the first three and three quarters episodes. And that is the, the goal that the, the goal is to make him think that he's crazy. The reason, so after this, what allegedly happened, so he's back in New York at this point, uh, that, that is where the asylum is set up is in New York. In the comics, he walks out and New York is covered in sand and it looks like ancient Egypt, but there are still buildings. Um, and essentially, Khonshu comes back and Khonshu never leaves in that that comic. So I have no idea where they're going to go with that. This episode didn't have any Khonshu and it was still fantastic. Um, I, there are a lot of people complaining about like various things, of course, because people complain. The the opening scene, I think, with the flare was a little corny, but I think they were really diving into we want to make this Indiana Jones-esque right before the big heel turn. Yeah, yeah. Which was good. Uh so what do you think's about to happen, man? Like, do you have any other theories? I mean, clearly, like clearly this is in his head, in my opinion. Because how I mean, how do you at least that last like two minutes has to be in his head? but I think the whole mental asylum is more likely in his head in this version, because obviously there isn't a, a ginormous hippo Pharaoh lady. Um, <laughs> and yeah. if there is, then it's a totally different set of things that are going to happen. But I think we're going to get to where somehow Conchu kind of like breaks free and saves Mark again, kind of thing brings him back to life. Um, yeah. Thus uh, keeping the deck going of sorts. And that's why yeah. Moon Knight continues as a character in Marvel or something of some sorts like that. But uh, I don't know how that happens or why that happens. I really don't know. I think I think we didn't know a lot of what was going to happen in this episode besides them trying to get into the tomb and find it. Um, but in theory, we have two episodes left. And the last episode is going to, as best as it can, wrap up stuff and set up stuff. So this yeah. fifth episode is going to be bonkers. <laughs> it is. And and I have no idea where they're actually going to go. Um, the, the third sarcophagus is what is throwing me. I think, well, not so throwing me. It's the third character in what we've seen before where they both weren't in control and they murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> right. So th- that character's name is going to be Jake. Jake Lockley, that is the third personality of Moon Knight in all the comics. Not all of them. There have been so many different runs of Moon Knight that it's hard to like decipher, but yeah. his name's Jake Lockley, but there are people who are already already outraged about it. Um, because like giving giving Mark and Steven the excuse of, well, we have a third person who murders people. Um, but I don't get that because Mark also murders people. Like we yes. know that. So I don't, well, maybe not. I guess we don't know that for sure. Um, no, we, because, we do know that. <laughs> well, didn't, wasn't that just like the Harrow's people were saying that and it was Steven. So Mark wasn't there because Mark called them liars. Remember? <clears throat> well, so the first episode, we don't know who does what we yeah. just assume it's Mark, but after right. that, most of the scenes we know is Mark because it's actually the Mark character talking and right. interacting with everyone. So uh, for the most part, we know most of the killing we've seen 
has been done by Mark, and, except for the first episode. And then the killing that we didn't see in the third episode, we don't know who that was. And apparently it wasn't Mark or Steven. So, yeah, it was it was Jake. It was for sure Jake. But yeah. I'm excited to see where they take it, man. I, I, so far, I when it went to the mental asylum, I looked at Nikki and we just kind of looked at each other for a second. Then we kept watching and I said, this is fucking awesome. Like this is so such a cool thing that they're doing. I, Some people are upset about it. I get it. I was but... I was annoyed by it because I was like, like come on. So but I also realized it was the fourth episode, and if this is if this was the sixth episode, I'd be devastatedly pissed. But the fourth episode, you know, there's more to come. So exactly. it's like, okay, what's next? Because I need to know what's next now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's the part I don't like about the Disney Plus shows is they drop weekly. I wish I could binge this shit. Um, yeah, no. unfortunately that that uh, started all that culture of us having to wait again. Started back when we were in college, and it did suck. Yeah, that's true. But all right, do you have anything else on on Moon Knight or Marvel in general? Uh, I I thought it was a good episode overall. Like I, I thought the action was really good. Um, I, I thought a lot of the scenes were very like dark, like not like per, like like feel wise, but like there was just very dark. <laughs> it, I couldn't even see the opening scene, man. Yeah, I, so I was, I was I, like adjusting my TV. I was fucking annoyed half the time <laughs> because it was so dark, and my living room has like. Uh, like all like floor like lighting and like it was like cutting the tv in half half yep. the time and i was like can we turn yeah. off the lights please <laughs> like i well, hate that's, this well that's so it, it was if you do that sunny. you can't see still <laughs> yeah exactly any light it was like you could see like two-thirds of the screen like you still saw most of it but it still was like come on but yeah, it makes sense they're in a tomb obviously there's no fucking light right yeah, the worst part was before she lit the flare at the beginning. I was like, I have no idea what's happening. I have, yeah. I have no idea. Oh, I was, it was pitch black. I couldn't see yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> also, I guess one last grape. It fucking marks laying on the ground, basically dead. She rolled him over, and then he just stands up and is just like, yeah, here, here I am. Like, what a weird entrance for, for Mark in that first scene. It was so clunky. But... Well, it was Steven, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was Steven. You're right. It wasn't even Mark. Um, which is also strange because I like, didn't he get hit by, no, he just passed out because of Khonshu. He didn't get shot at that yeah. point, but crazy show. I'm excited. <laughs> we'll also, so this is the last Friday fix, by the way. Yes. Uh, didn't open up with that, but we will not have Marvel talk on these episodes. We might incorporate it into the, uh, post draft episodes, depending on how long those go. We shall um, see. I feel like we need to finish Moon Knight at least in some way, but, but yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to add before we bounce? Um, just, we will be doing the mega mock, uh, on Monday, at least part of it, at least the first round, if not all three rounds. Um, if it all is all three, if it is not all three rounds, the second and third round would come out on Wednesday, most likely, or Tuesday. I don't know. We'll see. Either way, so you have a, a big content, a three-round mock uh, that will incorporate us two, Sean and Adam, and which I think we'll start working on maybe tomorrow or Sunday. And yeah. no <laughs> then, trades, by the way. Yes. What? No trades. No trades. Okay. Smart. 
And then, um, yeah, just Thursday, we will be doing, uh, we should be live for the draft. Uh, most likely just me and Christian as a core with guests rotating in. We haven't reached out, uh, to everyone else, like Sweet and everyone for that regard, but we have talked to Kevin and Jeff about rotating on because I'm sure they're rotating on other shows as well. Uh, but yeah. obviously, me and Christian sitting here talking about the draft. Uh, Will will have a good time regardless, and we will be drinking, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, probably. We'll see. Uh, for me, uh, we'll also have. Uh, so last year, I tried to do. <laughs> no, no. I think I was two years ago, and then last year I didn't as much. But uh, so I, I'm going to try to have some video cutups too, and I might pull some all 22 and see if we can't get uh, copyright infringement hit on us. But <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So, and if not, we'll have some cool graphics, and we'll be able to break down the players, especially that first night. It's going to be a great night. The draft is literally five days away now, so. Uh, very yeah. exciting stuff. It's so. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else? Don't believe so. All right. <laughs> At least nothing we've talked about. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll be back on Monday for the Mega Mock. Uh, so make sure you guys join us there. If wherever you're watching or listening to this, make sure you subscribe. Hit us with a, a five star review if you're feeling so inclined. Uh, and like I said, we'll be back on Monday for Randy Hall. I'm Christian Williams. We'll talk to you guys next week. Later.